good morning. Cold, brisk morning. I'll still take the cold over snow, man. It's nice to have a little bit of a break. <laughs> uh, We're going to be in John 15 this morning. We're wrapping up um, our series, Home for the Holidays. So I figure, you know what, why not uh, go to the passage that talks <clears throat> more about home than any other passage in Scripture? Um, <clears throat> Our our kind of our tagline for this series is um, has been you know, don't lose hope because hope um, home is a place where hope should thrive and forgiveness can flow. Um, but for many of us, home means very different things depending on the type of home you grew up in. Uh, my wife and I grew up in very different houses. Uh, she grew up in she's only lived in two houses before. Uh, we met, and uh, her parents are still in the house she they she moved into when she was four. Uh, I had lived in twenty two different houses by the time I graduated high school, um, <clears throat> and uh, and so we went from living in houses, uh, trailer park in Southern California in Riverside, up to a bus on a pig farm in Bull Canyon, California, up to the woods in out in the sticks in Southern Oregon, to uh, Eastern Washington, and then back up to, uh, or finally up here to the, the promised land, um, of which I don't ever care to leave, um, except last week. I might have had one or two thoughts of that last week. <laughs> Um, but but there's a there's a difference, and I want to touch on this today. There's a difference between a house and a home, because you could deal with a lot of different types of houses if you have a good home, right? So uh, for some, it's a place of sorrow, insecurity, hurt, abuse, pain. For others, it's a place of joy, security, comfort, love, and and what we're going to look at today is John in his gospel. Um, he offers a, a rather strange uh, depiction of what a home is. He has a strange way of speaking to it. And John is, is different, quite different than the other uh, disciples. In fact, this would be the, the gospel that, that he makes the mention of, I'm the one that Jesus loved. You know, and, and it sounds a little arrogant, but when we understand that, that John understood something about love, he understood something about his relationship with, with Jesus, I think that was just a little bit um, deeper, maybe, than the other disciples did, at least at this point. And so John is going to come to this place in John 15, and he's, and he's going to recount some words that Jesus was saying, and uh, we're going to look at those words today. Now, one of the things before we get into 15, there's going to be a word that we're going to see repeated over and over again. That word is, depending on which translation you have, um, it's abide or remain. Um, these are going to be our key phrases today. And really the, the, the word for abide is meno, and it, remain, it, it means to remain, stay, or reside. Um, so, you know, this isn't, this isn't a, 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 a thought of an Airbnb to visit. This is a place where we call home. That, that this is a permanent place of residency. We don't visit, it's not a vacation home. It is a permanent place of residency. And so as we talk through that today, I want us to keep that in mind that when we hear this word abide, that it's not talking about a visit or a, a part-time uh, occupancy. It's talking about a permanent place of home. So let's go ahead and dig into uh, John 15, starting in verse one. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Fathers, we uh, just open this scripture up this morning, Lord. Um, Our desire, God, is that you would open the eyes of our hearts. Father, see the mystery, seeing the the elements in our lives that we just don't see, the the perspectives of our relationship with you, Lord, that we just don't um, understand fully, Lord. Would you help us to understand that, God? Would Would you help us to be aware of the reality of your nearness to us this morning? Father, that we may bear fruit, that we may remain with you, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen. What Jesus is doing here is he's painting a picture using an agricultural illustration. The father's the gardener, the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. And through us, the branches, the vine, Jesus, is going to produce the fruit. The gardener, which is the father, he's overlooking this this process here. He's overlooking and caring for the branches that are fallen, the branches that are maybe laying in the mud. He's lifting them up and he's looking. He's saying, hey, this this one is starting to die off. I'm going to prune this back so that all the nutrients and everything else can begin going where it's going to produce fruit. And there's, there's three elements going on. There is the father who's the gardener, Jesus who is the vine, and we who are the branches. And the goal is that we as branches would bear fruit. He doesn't tell us to produce fruit. He says that he forms us in a way, he cares for us in a way that we would bear fruit. But so often in our lives, we're, 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 we're living in this toil of trying to produce fruit and never finding rest. And what Jesus is saying here in John 15 is that our sole job is to just abide, remain with the vine. Our job is to not produce and toil to bear fruit. Our job is that as we just obsessively focus on being with Jesus, that that process will allow 
the father to trim what's needed, the vine to carry the nutrients and produce the fruit through us as branches. Does that make sense? Pretty simple. Little, little, little too simple for us though, right? Like we're like, well, no, we got to go do all these things for Jesus. We got to, we got to produce these things. We got to do these things. We got to, we got to strive to get this done. And yet we find ourselves time and time again, if we were honest with ourselves, seeing more bad fruit than we do good fruit. Because our, our purpose is to be with the vine, not produce fruit. Being with the vine will produce fruit. Okay? So Jesus tells us in John 14, 23, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So first thing to clarify is that this is not promoting legalism when he says, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, he'll keep my commandments. And it's easy for us to feel that way. I felt that way for years of like, man, I, if this is a litmus test, I fail. I must not love God because I wanted to love God, but I'm like, I can't love people the way he's telling me to. I mean, I, I can't keep his commandments. Like I, I've always said, like, I'd be a really bad Jew. I'm not a great rule follower. I'm always thinking, how can I, how can I sidestep some of these rules and, and improve on things and have a little more fun than probably what's, what's allowed? You know, all these sorts of things. I am that personality. And I've always looked at him like, man, I don't know how to be a good Christian. Have we ever thought that? I don't know if I can be a good Christian. And so we look and we say, well, I guess if I guess I don't love God, I don't keep his word, and I guess I don't love him. And what, what I didn't understand is what Jesus was actually saying is, Josh, come here. If you focus on loving me, you will keep my commands. Not if you say that you love me, you will go to church and you will keep my commands, young man which is actually how I interpreted that for so many years. And inside it's felt like a constant failure before the Lord because I was thinking, I just don't know if I can. And what he was saying is, Josh, come, love me. And out of that naturally, you will keep my commands. You'll understand my mind. You'll understand my heart. You'll understand the type of fruit that is gonna produce through you if you just remain with me. And this is why over and over, even in First and Second John, which the apostle writes also later on, this, this idea of abiding, this idea of like remaining with him is foundation and key to everything, every single thing. If we love him, the fruit will be produced. We just bear it. And it's, it's a joyful engagement. These words that, that, that Jesus speaks here in John 14, it, it, is, a, it is an incredible promise to us. It, this home, this, this abiding place, this home that Jesus is referring to provides us with everything we need in life. Everything, all, all that is necessary to live and fulfill God's purpose in our life is met in the person and home of Jesus. We can count it all joy when we face trials in the presence of Jesus. We can carry one another's burdens when we are connected to that vine. To love the unlovable, to forgive those who wrong us. Have you guys ever tried to bear the fruit of forgiveness? Like, I mean, that's really hard to do outside of the strength of God. Like, we could say it all we want, but when it comes down to it, talk is cheap. We might say we love someone. We might say we forgive them. We might say we're hopeful about something, but inside the heart is far from those things. So often spouses, 
Let's be, let's be honest with that. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> like, no, I forgive you. I'm not talking to you for a while, but I forgive you. It's like the, and, and this is life. It's relationships. It, it's it, Jesus put us in the midst of each other, put us in the midst of mess to live out the life that only can be lived in his presence. It's impossible to bear the fruit of Christ-likeness when we're not connected to the vine. That's why so often the fruit that we produce is bad fruit because, because we are not connected to the vine, giving us the nourishment and, the, and the, really the, the home that we belong to, to uh, uh, function in. So what Jesus is, is all he's saying here is, look, if you're going to bear fruit, the only way to do that, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Stay connected to me. This little point right here, that's all he's saying is just be with me. Stay with me. Christ-likeness is the fruit that he produces in us when we make our home with him. To love like Christ, to forgive like Christ, to have the power of Christ. Jesus even said, you'll do greater things than I have done. And I'm thinking like, uh, mm, I, that is so far from my understanding because I'm not in his presence. But what happens when all of a sudden you are in the presence of God and you're experiencing God giving you a heart for someone you didn't even want to have a heart for? Giving you the ability to forgive almost with ease that doesn't make sense. I remember being uh, about 11 years old and, and uh, down in eastern Washington, and we're driving on this highway, and there's four crosses in, the, in this median. And, and uh, so I was like, oh, I wonder what that's, that's, what that's all about. Well, it, it, it turns out that there's a Mennonite family from the small farming town that I was from. They, the mom was in the hospital um, having her baby. The dad and three other kids were on the way to the hospital. They all got killed. And all, sorry, they had four kids. The dad, the dad survived. Um, they they publicly went went on and after a while was like, hey, we actually forgive by a drunk driver, by the way. We forgive. And, and I just remember thinking, like, I, I didn't understand really anything about the depths of spirituality or, or God or anything. I just remember thinking, like, people can do that? Like, I'd be plotting some murder, but people can actually do that. I mean, they were blessing the family of this, of this man who was now in jail for, for vehicular homicide. They were going to his family, taking care of his family and all this. And I just remember as a young kid thinking like, there's a way of life that I do not understand. And it's the heart of Christ. When you can forgive on that level, my goodness, you, you, you've seen something that the world does not see. So let's look at this idea of home, since this is such a, a theme for us in the series and a theme for, for Jesus here in John. In the Palestinian culture, during the time that this was written, they placed a great deal of importance on the home and hospitality. It was a place of nurture and rest and, and retreat. People were given food and, and drink for their survival. They were given beds to rest after their, their days of work, a place to retreat from the world with all of its endless problems and demands and oppression and all that stuff that they were facing, a place for opportunities of, of spiritual growth and fellowship and emotional growth and, and physical growth. It was a center for, for the family unit to function. It was for hospitality, education, 
Christian worship, like the home was everything for them, the place of protection for foreign travelers and refugees. It would, it would be, it would be uh, uh, places of refuge for so many people. And this is the idea of the home when, when Jesus is talking about this idea of making our permanent home with him. We get so used to in our culture just hopping back and forth from different things and, you know, visiting places and, and staying there and be like, oh, this is a nice place, and then leaving. And Jesus, that, that idea wasn't even in, in the midst of his thoughts when he's talking about this stuff, this idea of making our permanent home with him. So when Jesus is speaking about the Father and himself, and he says, we will come to you and make our permanent home with you. Like, he's not just asking us to do this to him. He's saying, he's saying, not only do I desire for you to make your home with me, but I actually want to make my home with you. I want to make my home with you. And I'm going to start that in the Old Testament by showing you that I care for my people. And then I'm going to send my son, a baby, born to be raised so that that curtain of separation can be torn and that home could be mutually made. It's a beautiful picture of God's heart for his people. Jonathan Edwards says that the spirit of God builds his permanent home in the hearts of, of true saints, influencing their hearts and inspiring them to live and act in new ways. He becomes so united to the person's inner faculties that he is now the source of their very being, a living fountain of new life. And isn't that true? The, the more we spend time with the Lord, the, not the more we, we do religious things, not the more verses we memorize, but the more we engage, and nothing's wrong with church, nothing wrong with, with memorizing verses, nothing, nothing in that, but that in itself does nothing if we're not spending time with the heart of Jesus. And, and what, we're, what we're seeing here is that the initial work of being unified with Christ is accomplished by God entirely. That he's like, hey, I'm going to take care of how I'm going to make my home with you. And I'm going to sacrifice my son so that I can make my permanent home with you. Will you make your permanent home with me? And at the point where we surrender our lives to Jesus and are saved, are saved the spirit of Christ makes his home in us. John 16 tells us that, that, that when Jesus goes away, we're going to give another, he, the Father's going to give us another counselor, one of the same of Jesus, to guide us, to be with us, to comfort us. And that spirit's going to guide us into all truth, not just truth of our salvation, but all truth. Like, like Dale was talking about last week with this, Jesus is the light of the world. He's the truth of the world. The spirit's job is now guide us into all the mysteries are, that are tangled up in our hearts, why we can't seem to forgive, why we can't seem to have hope, why we can't seem to live out our Christian life. Jesus is actually like, hey, my spirit, I'm going to give you to guide you into that. So our part in abiding or making our home is not finished work, but a moment by moment choice, a day by day, moment by moment choice. There's a, a missionary in the Philippines, Frank Laubach, the only missionary to ever be on a, on a stamp, actually. Um, br brilliant man, uh, highly educated. He goes over to the Philippines. He's going to minister to all these Muslims, and he's going to go over there and evangelize them. And he gets over there, and it's just like met with complete resistance, no, no uh, acceptance, no, no, you know, what would be fruit in his ministry. And he's, he's just in a dark time, really depressed. And he's walking by and he's like, I just began looking in the eyes of these Muslims that I was passing. And he said, when I pass one of them, 
He said, the Lord brought it to my attention and he asked me a question. He says, Frank, what business is it of yours to change the names of this Muslim to Christian if you can offer him no better God than the one he already serves? And Frank just stopped and he's like, from that point on, I obsessed over learning more and more how to walk minute by minute with the God that I say I want to evangelize with. And from that point on, his ministry just exploded out of his own abiding relationship. All, all it was is him saying, hey, I'm going to learn how to walk minute by minute with the Lord. He's actually known for creating this. Uh, um, well, to this day, he, he's credited with teaching over 70 million people to read. And, and he created this, he calls it the game with minutes. It's really fascinating to, to look at it, Frank Laubach. Um, and the whole idea is, is how often can I be bringing the Lord to my mind? Can I bring it when I pass every person? Can I, can I bring the Lord to my attention as I'm talking with folks, as I'm studying, as I'm praying, as I'm reading? Like, can I really engage the Lord this much? And all he's doing is saying, hey, I'm going to fix my eyes more and more to the things of the Lord. He essentially was learning and practicing abiding. It's incredible. So what God's promising is through the power of, of resurrection to be present with us, to live with us, provide for all of our needs as we journey through this life of messy situations. As we live in this world, he's dwelling with us. He has made his permanent place with you and I, his church. That the sanctuary is no longer sticks and bricks. It's you and I meeting together with the spirit working among us to draw us into the glory of the Father. In the midst of our crazy and unstable world, Jesus is the source of our true security. I mean, he truly is. He's also the source of our rest in a weary world. In fact, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sorry, didn't Jesus save the world? Like, didn't he, didn't, wasn't he constantly being made fun of, constantly being rebuked, constantly being betrayed and, and, and beat and, and all these other things that Jesus had to accomplish. And yet he's like, well, my burden, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because he relied on the father. In fact, Jesus himself said, the son of man can do nothing on my own. I only do what I see the father doing. In Ezekiel, we're, we're told that Jesus actually is described as the branch and the Father is the vine to him. And he says, all I want to do, and Jesus' bottom line, his sole goal in life was, I just want to be with dad. I just want to be with dad. So the joy set before him was the joy that you and I could experience being with his dad as well because he found his joy, he found his peace, he found his strength. And Jesus didn't live this, this monastery lifestyle. He was in the midst of teaching and planting churches and making disciples and performing miracles and all these other things that, that he had going on. And yet he would say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Not that, it was, not that life was easy, but the, the, the weight of life was easy for him because the father was gonna give him everything to accomplish anyway. He, he could do nothing on his own. So Jesus' whole joy was like, I'm just going to surrender to the Father. That's why he would say, not my will, but your will be done. He was in this constant place of like, hey, I'm not worried about the fruit 
of what it looks like. I'm not worried that, that all these disciples in John 6 would come and they're following me for three days and they're seeing these miracles I'm doing and they're seeing all these things and I'm, I have this reputation to build as the son of God. I want people to take me serious and they come and he says, hey, by the way, I know really you guys have been here for the food, but let me tell you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, essentially saying, unless you actually, unless I'm everything to you, you actually can't abide. Like you, you can't be with the father because I have to be everything to you. And they all left. We don't see Jesus frantically chasing after me. Like, wait, 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 wait. Sorry, that was a little harsh. I really need you guys to like me. He was just like, well, it's the truth. So he turns to his disciples. And I think it's, Peter's response is one of the most beautiful responses. He said, do you guys want to leave too? And Peter, Peter's response, he said, Lord, to whom else will we, we go? You alone have the words of life. Peter at that point realized that, man, Jesus is everything. He is everything to me. So this idea of home, of making our home with the Lord. Well, the home should be a place of instruction. And, and as we look through these couple passages, I want us to think about who Jesus is to us and the types of homes that he desires us to have among each other. Place of instruction, Deuteronomy 4, 9, and 10. Only take care and keep your soul diligently unless you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day you stood before the Lord, your God at Horeb, and the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days, of the, the, uh, all the days that they live on earth and that they may teach their children. Home is the first of all places to receive instructions for each member, right? I mean, whether they're good instructions or not, right? Like as little kids, we start picking up habits and then one day you're like, oh, I'm like my parents. Wow, never thought that would be because we've had a lifetime of being instructed good and bad, right and wrong. But in the presence of Jesus, we find instruction. Placing, making our permanent home with Jesus, we do find instruction. It should be a place of worship, Hebrews eleven twenty eight. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Not, let's hope that we receive it one day, but let us be grateful that we have received a kingdom. You and I, sitting here today who have put our faith in Jesus, you and I have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Like that should drive fear out of our lives 100%. We have received a kingdom, so let us be grateful for that. And thus let us offer God, offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. John 4, 23 and 24, but the hour is coming and is, here, is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So we go into the presence of Jesus and we learn what our home should be like because we find ourselves worshiping when we're at home with Jesus. And our homes should consist of these same sorts of things. It should be a place for unity. 1 Peter 3.8, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Isn't that what happens when we come into the presence of Jesus? There's this, there's this unity of mind. There's a, there's a tenderness. There's a, there's a, a, a humility that, that, that is created. Ephesians 4, 13 through 16. Paul says that we're to work together until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God 
to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by, by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head into Christ. Not to me, not to Dale, not to the elders, not to other people, but we are to grow up to him. To Jesus. Jesus is our standard. He is the father in our home. He is the, the one who, who is over us in that home. And he serves us. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, uh, let's see, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it, it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in what? Reputation? In... in Authority? No. In love. Because that's what happens when we're at home with Jesus, is we are built up in love. We find a little bit of love that we didn't have for the unlovable, don't we? And this is, this is what Jesus does in his presence. Home should be a place of forgiveness. If Christ is our home, and in the home, that's where we should find forgiveness and and give forgiveness. Matthew 6, 12, Jesus modeling prayer for his disciples. And he says, Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Down in verse 14 of chapter six, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, <laughs> oh, Peter, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. I imagine Peter's like, Peter being a man of justice, you know, what? No way. But how often does God forgive us? When we are in the presence, when we are making our home and abiding with the Lord, we are reminded of what God saved us from, aren't we? That we receive grace in his presence. And because we've received the grace, we now are able to go give grace to others. Parents, how many times do we need forgiveness from our kids? Kids, how many times do you need forgiveness from your parents? Spouses, I mean, if you've been married more than a week to a month, you've already hit this 490 mark. <laughs> I mean, you are far beyond 70 times seven. We need grace if we are to fulfill our Christian life. And if we're not careful, though, our Christian life will be nothing more than a manifestation of our own effort. If we're not very careful that we're going to end up living out our Christian life out of our own effort, and it's not going to work. A home should be a place of hope. And in that home, that's where we find hope. Romans 5, 2 through 5 says, Through him, Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And if any of us, real quick, before we finish this, if we have lived long enough, we will bleed. But we know that after we've bled, it has created in us something that we did not possess before. So think of that as we read the rest of this. Verse three, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Know that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. 
Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. I mean, you can't avoid this, this Romans phase of life. You live long enough, you will bleed painfully. And it's through that, as we embrace the Lord and engage with the Lord, that we build our endurance, build our character, build our hope into something greater. So because the Father and Jesus have made their home with us, we can hear and live by the words of Jesus in John 14, 27, when he says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, our worst enemies is fear. That's really, that's really what keeps us incapacitated. It keeps us apathetic. It keeps us unloving. It keeps us uncaring. We're afraid of ourselves. We're afraid if people really knew who we were, they'd reject us. We're afraid that God isn't actually for us. We're afraid to succeed. We're afraid to fail. We're afraid to get involved in someone's mess. We're afraid to love, afraid to risk. We're even afraid to forgive. We're afraid to hope because we don't want to deal with letdown again, right? These are all valid human fears. And unless we're in the presence of Jesus right at that point, we're going to look and say, I can't do it. I just, I have to pretend and I have to try to be nice, but I cannot do the depths of what I'm being called to do here because we're facing the wrong thing. We're trying to face the fruit instead of facing him who is our hope, who is our forgiveness. And in that presence is where we find the strength. Remember, we're not called to produce the fruit. We don't just like, come on, I want to forgive. I want to love this person. It is impossible. The Christian life is impossible outside of the presence of Christ. And that's by his design. It is absolutely by his design. To the degree, my, my friend, uh, Greg from Michigan, dear friend of mine and me my mentor, um, he, he says this often. He says, to the degree that we live, we've lived our lives through self-effort, Self-effort will be the natural way we attempt to accomplish the Christian life. If we've, if we've been trying to produce the fruit independently with our own effort, then when we're called to this Christian life, we're going to be like, thanks God, I got this. And how many times do we do? I mean, let's, let's be honest. Let's look at our prayer life, right? We go to the Lord a little more when we're really struggling, when we come to the end of our efforts, right? And then he, he comes through for us and he, he answers praise and he gets us to a place and all of a sudden we're like, thanks, I got this now. And it's not like he's like, hey, okay, now you can ride the bike yourself. Now you can live this Christian life yourself. No, he's like, no, you'll fall without these training wheels. No, I got this. I got this. And we might get it on that one tire where we don't feel either of the wheels. And we think, yeah, we got this. And then boom, we can't even keep up with the training wheels. And God's like, oh, come here. I'll pick you back up. I want to be with you. I don't want you to be independent. I want to be with you. I want to empower you. I want to give you all of me. I don't want you independently living this life. I'm not asking you to because it's impossible to. God is not asking us to perform Christ's life and perfection. We have the life of Christ and his perfection dwelling in us. He's already connected to us, dwelling in us. We simply need to look to the vine to focus on the vine. Isaiah 26, three and four says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, is fixed on you. Do we experience perfect peace? Not when our mind's not completely obsessed with Jesus. There's no perfect peace by design. Luke eleven thirty four: 34, the eye is the lamp of your body when your eye is single or simple. 
singular focus, obsessed, your whole body will be full of light. But when your eye is full of darkness or labor and hardship, your whole body will be full of darkness. See the difference here? I mean, take, take, take one day of, of looking at the news to, to determine what does your heart real quick. Because you're allowing these things into your light that you're like, okay, and if this is all we're doing, then our whole body is going to be full of darkness. But if we are fixated on the things of the Lord, if our eyes are gazed on the things of the Lord, if we are obsessed with the things of the Lord, that is where our whole body will be full of light. And we want to see the power of God in our lives. We want to know what it's like when Jesus says, you'll do greater things than I have done. That's where it happens. We just try to have both. So often we try to have both and we feel like, well, it's, it's, I, I got to make this happen. Colossians 3, 1 and 4, 1 through 4 says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, set your hearts. The deepest part of us set our hearts on things above, put our trust in the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. But when Christ appears, who is your life? Then you will also appear with him in glory. So the question is not, how do I pray more? How do I do more? How do I love more? How do I uh, uh, bear more fruit? Those are all wrong questions. The question is, where am I not making my home with Christ? Where in my life am I not surrendering to the Lord? There might be certain places we are, and then other areas we're not, and Christ wants complete surrender. And if we are surrendering to the Lord and rightly connected to the vine, then we naturally bear that kind of fruit. We don't have to squeeze the fruit out of the branches. We naturally bear the fruit that is actually glorifying to the vine, not the branch. We want fruit so often in our lives because we want to make our branches look really good. But God's whole purpose is that we would realize that we cannot bear fruit on our own. That is everything about the vine and the gardener caring for this whole process. And out of that process comes the fruit that, that when you have an orchard, do you look and say, man, that tree did a really good job? Or do you look at the one who has the orchard and say, man, you grafted that with, with magnificence that you have cared for, you have, you have tended to. I mean, you guys run farm, like you know the value of the work that goes into these sorts of these sorts of things. And it's like, man, you guys should be getting the glory for the, the fruit that's being produced in the farm. God, the Father should be getting the glory for the fruit that comes from our lives. And it only happens when that connection to the vine is healthy. So much of our life is spent diagnosing symptoms. And what Jesus does for us here in John 15 is he summarizes the whole function of our lives in Christ. It's making our permanent home with him. And out of that comes the forgiveness and hope for us, the ability to forgive others, the ability to have hope and be a beacon of hope for others. So he gives us a command and this command will give us the joy and God the glory. In John 15, 12, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. How often do we love our spouses wanting something in return? How often do we love our children wanting something in return? In fact, Elias, when he was um, four years old, I used to come home and I used to, you know, he'd run up to the door and be like, hey, dad, 
I'd be like, oh, I love you, buddy. He'd be like, I love you too, dad. It was like the coolest thing, coolest part of my day. And then I remember the first day that he didn't. He just got distracted, went off playing. You know, he came up, hugged me. I was like, I love you. He's like, yeah, you know, went to play with Legos or something. And, I, and it was no, no, nothing personal. But I remember being like, oh, he didn't say it back to me. Uh, so I was like, hey, buddy, I love you. I, I love you. Hey, I, I love you. And I realized in that moment, I'm like, oh my goodness, Lord, I'm not telling him to just tell him that his dad loves him. I'm telling him because I want to validate. I'm using him to validate the fact that, man, maybe I'm not a good dad or maybe, maybe I'm not loving. And when he didn't validate that, I, I was like, oh my goodness, Lord, this is a pivotal moment because I feel really offended at my four-year-old. Like, this is crazy. But it helped me realize like, boy, how, how deep does this usury of people go? How deep does this usury of God go? God, give me this so you can support my fruit. So you can make the branch look really good. And God doesn't do that because God is jealous for us. He's not jealous for what we can produce. He's jealous for us. And I'll invite the worship team back up here. See, Jesus got nothing in return from us. He only gave of himself. And either Jesus is using hyperbole when he says, love others as I have loved you, or he's actually giving us a way to live lives like that on earth. That he's not, he's not asking us to do something that is impossible without him even helping us. In fact, I would even go as far to say that when he says, my commandment is summed up in these two things. Love God with all your might, everything in you, and love one another as I have loved you. Here's the beautiful part about that. That, that the fruit that, that would be produced in our lives from those two commandments, are, he does not leave it to us to accomplish that. He even says, I will actually help you do that. I will give you the ability to carry out these commands. All I'm asking you to do, stay with the vine. Be with me, obsess over me. Trust me, let me care for you. Let me take your worries, cast your anxieties on me, cast your fears on me. All the things you're afraid of, like bring it to me. Don't try to medicate with the world. Don't try to build your kingdom here. Like, man, seek my kingdom and my righteousness first. And all these things that you're worried about, man, I'll take care of them for you. All the love that you need for these people, all the forgiveness that you need for these people, all the hope that you don't have, like, man, I will take care of it for you. I'm not asking you to fulfill your Christian life on your own. I'm just asking you to be with me. And how amazing is it with, with us that have been blessed with kids that are growing? I remember the days, even this one right here, I remember the days of just like him just being with me. Like, what does a kid offer a dad and a mom but taking from them constantly? And that's all they can. But you know what? We joyfully embrace that. Because there's a love, there's a tenderness, there's a care that's like, man, you can't do anything. You can't go work for me. You can't pay bills. You can't take care of all the stresses. You can't even cook food. And yet they're, they, they're sitting there and it's like, all I care about though is just being with you, taking care of you, nourishing you. And how beautiful it is that Jesus is like, Yes, yes, come to me like a child. Like, I will take care of all these things for you. And imagine if our kids ran around like, I, I can't just be with you, Dad. I can't be with you, Mom. Like, what, what do I need to do for you? What, what can I do for you? I'm so, I'm so bummed that I can't do this thing. You're like, hey, I got this. Or when your kids freak out, like, ah, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. It's like, hey, 
don't worry, my, my daughter, she's not a Peter Saul saying this. When we were getting all that snowfall, and I was like, oh, we might be losing power, who knows? And she's like, do we have enough food? Do we have enough? I'm like, Macy, relax. Relax. We got this. We got this. It's that simple, you guys. It's that simple. And if we could become a people that can remind each other of the simplicity of just being with Jesus, man, we're going to watch God do things in here that will blow, that will blow our, actually, it will be more than we ask or imagine. I can promise you that. Would you guys stand with us? Hope and forgiveness come through the light. That light is Jesus and he's our home. He is our home. So let us go home to Jesus. Let's not visit Jesus only when we're needing to come home or, need, or hungry or whatever, but let us just be home with Jesus and watch what God does in us. It is far beyond what we can even imagine standing here today.